When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, happy Thursday, everybody. It is October 24, 2023, and the Gamecocks are 2-5. We will get into the weekend that was. We will also talk about the limited, it felt like today, limited press conference that we heard from just a what pair of players, Joe. Um, and then we'll also hear some remarks that Shane Beamer had to say today. Uh, before we get into the... Biggest takeaway that you had today, Joe. Yeah. My biggest takeaway today. You know, let's call for what it is before we get into this show. This is a South Carolina team that's not playing that well. All right. Um, certainly, as we do every week, we want to hear from you, right? We want to let you what you guys have an opportunity to ask questions and hear your comments. But at the same time, too, let's all save ourselves some headaches, right? They're not going to be able to go into the portal right now. All right. This isn't the friggin' NFL. All right. They can't trade for anybody. Who you have is who you got. Right. Um, If you have issues with certain coaches and want, you know, Beamer to move on from, that's all right. You can express that. Right. But, you know, bottom line is there's no magic wand right now that's going to solve things. So let's save everyone the headaches and the mental hurdles of saying certain things that nothing is going to change. You know, things that aren't going to happen right now, okay? But with yeah. that being said, floodgates are open. Complain away. Voice your opinions. Voice whatever. And we'll have at it. Yeah, there was plenty of it on the post-game show. That is for sure. So bring that same energy. Gates are open. Um, but, Mike, I mean, I guess my initial takeaways from the presser, um, this team knows that they have their backs against the wall. Um, and, you know, they're doing everything that they can to try to, you know, get back into this and, and get bowl eligibility. Um, Got to win four out of your next five to do so. But, I mean, it's not out of the question. This team is good enough and as banged up as they are, you know, there's still a real possibility that they can be bowl eligible and even win the next five. I mean, I, I don't think it's out of the question. You have to play a perfect game. But, again, I digress. But, I mean, there was still a lot of positivity defensively. You know, they know they, – they, they admitted to checking out that first half. Um, and then, you know, once they locked in, they were doing good things. So, Jalon Kilgore mentioned that. He's like, you know, we need to get our heads in it more defensively from the jump, and then we know we can do great things. So, I think that's another hurdle that this defense has going forward. It's going to be a tough one in AM. It's a new kick. But, I mean, they know if they bring the energy from the jump, it makes things easier going down the stretch. That's for sure. And, I mean, like I said, Mike, everyone just seems – you know, hopeful they know what's ahead of them and what they need to do. But, um, you know, I don't think the culture is necessarily lost by any means. Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway, and I wrote about it today on Gamecock Central, about just how 
in a situation like now, you, you really have to look to your upperclassmen to help you navigate through all the turmoil that you're facing. And that's not to say that blame or um, any of the adversity that South Carolina is facing should instantly be lifted off the coaches and be put on the players. Now, as I've said over the last couple of weeks, and I've said this before in the past, but especially in the NIL era that we live in now, that you know when players aren't getting the job done, we'll call them out. I mean, that's how we'll do it here. You know, we're not going to bash players just for the sake of bashing them, but it's okay to say, okay, Johnny's not doing X, Y, Z. That's all right. But my point when I bring that up is more so just the fact that Beamer's looking towards certain players, whether that be the seniors, whether it just be the upperclassmen in general, whether it be even maybe, you know, a sophomore who had an opportunity to play last year, whether that be a Nekeman Worry or, you know, DQ Smith, he's looking at these players to step up and be leaders because as Beamer has mentioned many times before, you go back and you look at the Steve Spurrier error and how those teams were ran, right? And Connor yeah. Shaw said it before, even when he was with the program during the Will Muschamp era, that the best teams that Connor has been a part of, the best teams that Shane Beamer has been a part of, and some of that having to be the Steve Spurrier era at South Carolina, they were all player-led. So during a week like this, and not just a week, but the next couple weeks, you're looking at those upperclassmen to lead because – it's not just, okay, what's the story of the South Carolina 2023 season? It's not as simple as that. It's you have 27, and I'll go back to just make sure I have the numbers correct because I wrote, again, wrote this in the story. You have 23 true freshmen on this team, okay? And then you also have a combined 25 either redshirted freshmen or sophomores. So that makes up, what, 50-something players right there? 52 players are either true freshman, or they're a redshirt and true freshman or sophomore. So I bring that up because, and you can even throw in, you know, what I'm trying to get at is this. You add those two glass classes, okay? And even this junior class, redshirt, sophomore, right? Yeah. The majority of this team, they're not used to losing. To carry on Joyner, Luke Doty, some of these guys that have been here, Boogie Huntley, some of these guys that have been here a little bit longer, they remember what it was like in 2020 and why there was a change to their head coach. But mm-hmm. for the majority of this team, they're not used to seeing losing at South Carolina. I know that's crazy to say because I'm sure there's a lot of fans listening. It's like, oh, we've seen a lot of losing, but they're not used to it. So, you know, it goes back to the old saying that Mike Tyson would have. Everyone has a game plan plan until you get punched in the face. Well, the game plan was to do X, Y, Z this year, right? be able to get X amount of wins, be able to go to this bowl game, be able to build off of last year. And as Beamer mentioned today, some of those goals, they're out the window. You can't obtain them anymore. But at the same time, too, there's still some goals they can obtain. And as you mentioned, Joe, Joe, there's still a possibility of going to a bowl game, even though some they don't want to hear that right now. And I understand that. The bottom line is win this week and start with winning and ending the losing streak. So I think that's what stands out to me the most. Jalen Kilgore had a great comment talking about the upperclassmen and how he's looking at them and how they've done a good job and just being able to pick your head up. Because again, it's not just what happens this year. If this thing continues to spiral out of control, 
it makes things that much more difficult for the next couple of years. And I'm not talking about recruiting. I'm talking about the mentality, the sophomore class, the freshman class more specifically yeah. that have arrived here. They're not used to seeing, right? The, again, the 27 frat, true, trust, true freshmen, the 25 either redshirt freshmen or sophomores, they're not used to, they're not used to seeing, um, stuff like this. So they need to be able to find ways to look at what's going on and figure out, okay, this is how we handle adversity. So that's what I would say with that. Um, ES collectible says Yuva haven't heard anything from you since the Tennessee game, not on you, but I haven't tuned in. So how you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling much better than I'm sure. Unfortunately, some of the people in that building, the ops building are um, over the last couple of weeks. Had a chance to go to Missouri, cover the game. Intern Joe led the way with former Gamecock offensive lineman Garrett Anderson on the post-game show. Yeah, we had a good time. Yeah, we've been doing the GC Live shows here on Tuesday nights. Been doing mm-hmm. the GC Live afternoon drive shows on Thursday. So, you know, tune on in. Tune on th- in Thursday. We'll see who we'll have for a guest this week, see if we can get a good one. But, yeah. Joe, just talking to those points, and then we'll get right into some of the comments said by people. Um, but, yeah. what? <laughs> Again, you heard from the players today yeah. about that notion, right? You know, Trey Knox, unfortunately, and I know some people aren't going to lose sleep because it was at Arkansas, but unfortunately, Trey Knox is no stranger to playing for a team that is going through a funk. Uh, his first two years at Arkansas, I believe they won two games his first year, and then that second year, they only won three, and that was the COVID season. So they went 3-7 and seven in 2020. And then two and ten, his true freshman year in Arkansas. And this is what he said. He said, quote, I try to lead by example first and foremost. You'll see me with a smile on my face every time I come through the door. I just want to make it a, as fun as possible because that's what it's all about. If you can't have fun playing the game, then you can't play at your best. And then TJ Sanders talked a little bit about um, what he's trying to instill with these players. He's a redshirted sophomore, but year three says, quote, I've been telling the guys to stay in the fight. A quote that echoes what defensive coordinator Clayton White had to say last week before the Missouri game. Yeah. No, I think there's a lot of good things there. Like, right, this year, you're already at this point, right? You're playing for bowl eligibility, sure. But you want to see those young guys, you know, step up. And, you know, I really liked what Jalon Kilgore had to say about, you know, he was training with Kelton Henderson and how Henderson is making him better day by day talks a little bit of smack Brian Thomas, I believe, or um, mm-hmm. I can't remember the other guy, but um, the way Jalon Kilgore talked about just getting and, you know, it, it seems to me as the culture has not worn off, it's fueling them knowing that this is, you know, it might be a rough stretch, but the young guys are taking you after it. Hey, listen, we don't want to feel like this again. So they're taking that forwards and just trying to get better day by day and trying to get as many reps as they can. And to be ready for next year and the year following when, you know, they have a chance to make a run and your offensive line won't be as banged up and that kind of thing. So I think that's very big. And it also shows, too, mm-hmm. that the that the vets know what they're doing. They, they're trying to make it fun again and, and make it, you know, like I, I, I believe mm-hmm. Trey Knox said, it, you know, you know, just getting back to making things fun is such a big thing. And that's all you can do at this point, really. Just simplify it down to that. Remember why you're here. Um, and get down to the roots of it, um, and maybe you can swing something going in the right direction. So going to Big Red, his question is, who do we have left after all these injuries? I think it it depends 
what position you're looking at specifically, Big Red. Yeah, there's so many. Right. And this goes into your next question, right? And I, I did want to hit on this a little bit, regardless about um, Xavier McLeod, because Xavier McLeod did not travel with the team to Missouri last weekend. So the reason why I wanted to bring that up is because I think it kind of ties in to when we're talking about redshirt. And I'm not saying that's the specific reason. We'll find out more over the next couple of weeks without even knowing the answer right now. But just giving you guys an update on some of these players, guys like Tyson Russell, Trevon Baugh, Pup Howard, Aluatosin Babalade, a.k.a. Tree, Desmond Umiozulu, Judge Collier, Nicholas Harbour, and Jalen Kilgore. So you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight true freshmen that I just mentioned right there who have played in five games or more so far this season. Those eight do not have uh, an opportunity to be able to redshirt this year. Okay, now that goes without saying for a lot of those guys, right? It's like, well, we knew that already about Jalen Kilgore. He's appeared in 436 snaps this season. Um, And according to Pro Football Focus, as my colleague Wes Mitchell wrote, most of any true freshman in the fourth, fourth most on the entire defense. How about that? But I mention all that because right underneath that, and I think we, we, we've continued to remind people about this because last year got a little funky because the NCAA on the fly, they changed the rule for just last year, allowing players to play in an extra game in that bowl game or if they were in the college football playoff, having the opportunity to play in more than that, right? You play in the first round of the college football yeah. playoff and then you can play in the national championship if your team was at that point. But I bring this up because... That's not on the table, at least for right now. It's four games in the regular season. So if you play in that fifth game in the regular season, you're not eligible to be redshirted for that year. And again, this is just the the freshman for this class, the true freshman at that. So again, just under that mark, just under that mark is Xavier McLeod. He has appeared in the Florida game most recently, right? Which comes after the bye week. So you wonder a little bit, hmm, you know, was the plan to put him out there and maybe let's see how things go? And that could be still the case. Maybe he didn't have a great week of practice. Maybe there's something else that we're missing. I don't know at this point. But he appeared in the Florida game, Tennessee game, Georgia, in the Furman game. Vakari Swain, he's appeared in three games this year. That means he can appear in one more game and still be able to maintain a year of eligibility. Um, Swain played two snaps late against North Carolina and then 11 snaps with a tackle against Furman. That's what Wes Mitchell writes. Sabari Sandy, he's appeared in two games, wide receiver Kelton Henderson, and everyone else that I'll mention, Braswell, Lenore Sellers, Connor Cox, Jatavia Shivers, they all have appeared in one game, and then Elijah Codwell, C.J. Adams, Cam Sandler, Reed uh, McKiska and uh, Marquis Anderson, of course, who's out mm-hmm. with the injury. They have not appeared in any games this season. So I say that to you, Joe, because 
based on injuries and based on what Big Red was saying, we've seen what South Carolina's had to do on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, Jatavius Shivers, I, I think probably in the back of their mind, they're thinking, man, do we really want to use his redshirt year, especially if the right things are going? I wouldn't be shocked, right? I wouldn't be shocked if we see him appear in some games, whether it be a, a game possibly even this week, and then you try to find a way where he doesn't go over that mark. You're trying to get him that experience. You already have two true freshmen on the offensive line that have burned their year of eligibility, right? Yeah. But getting experience. And when you're talking about next year, we already know this. Unless something crazy happens, there is a possibility if he wants the return. Spencer Rattler, you know, seems like he's gone. And I say it seems because last year it seemed like he was gone and then he came back. But – for the sake of conversation, Rattler's gone next year. And you're going to have a young quarterback back there. Luke Doty, we've talked about this from before, and from talking to more people close to the program and around the program over the last couple of weeks, it seems like the writing is on the wall that he'll get his opportunity to at least start next year at quarterback. And that doesn't mean he will be the week one starter, but you're most likely looking at a young quarterback, Lenore Sellers, Dante Reno's coming in, Tanner Bailey's still in the quarterback room. Uh, of those guys... Can you see one of those guys playing in more than four games this year and burning their eligibility? Would you want to see a guy like Xavier McLeod burn a year of eligibility? Again, he's at that four-game mark right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there are some guys that it's definitely worthwhile to, um, Tree and Trobe being those guys. And I think you see that a little bit more in practice, right? You kind of get more of a sense of when guys are ready. It took Nick Harbour a little bit of more time for the game to slow down to him rather than tree and tro tree and tro were in there for georgia and nick harbour is now having it slow down to him out there at the game so i mean you give mcleod as much of a look and practice as you can and then you judge it based on that whether or not he's game ready and whether or not you think he's ready enough to you know be able to make some strides and make i mean because mike they're at the point where they're so banged up you need some of these freshmen if you're going in there you got to make a play you are got you. You have to be ready to make a play, and so some of these freshmen may not be able to be, you know, ready for this moment. Um, I know Shane said he hasn't really seen a freshman that's that was uh, wasn't ready for their moment. But again, you know, you're so far into this year, you're probably giving these guys looks in practice. So I, I think you judge it based off of that, like where where have they been practicing and like where have they where are they at entering the week and whatnot. But I, I don't know. There's a couple of guys in there that, you know, you definitely could save for a red shirt at this point too. Again, we're just talking about it. Uh, Pimp on a blimp 89. What a username. <clears throat> talking about the number of games played. I don't know if you just tuned in, Pimp on a blimp 89. But McLeod has played in four games this season. That's what we're talking about. Is it worth, at this point, having him appear in one more game? And that's what makes me wonder – if the decision not to send him to Missouri this past weekend had anything to do with the fact that he's at that mark, because if he appears in one more snap, right, he plays next week against Texas A&M. Then it's like, what, what was the point? Unless there was something again, unless he didn't have a great week of practice, unless something happened that we don't know about, because it was a coach's decision not to send him out there, but he's at that four game mark. He's at that four game mark. I mentioned with shivers before, it would be great to see him get some experience. You would assume, you would assume that if he's healthy and has a great spring ball, that Marquis Anderson would be a player that they're expecting to throw right into the mix next year. 
So you have some experience already with the Luitos and Bubalata. You already have some experience with Trevon Ba. But the reason why I'm talking about the future, and it, it's because we're at that point of the season now where you have to look at your record. You have to ask, and we've said this many times about Lenoris, but you can say this with any player. But especially now, you have to look at the point of, is it makes sense to play a player right now and have him go over that four-game mark because that's what's in the best interest of not just the player, but for the program. Pimp on a blimp said, I'd hold all guys at four and wait until next year. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's, to me, to me, unless, God forbid, there's some serious injuries, and unfortunately, we'll get into that because CS uh, Collectibles actually asked the question about injuries, and I'll play the soundbite because Shane Beamer was talked about, was asked about this and talked about it today, about the strength and conditioning staff, and I have some thoughts on it as well. But I think, look, at this point, you're trying to get these younger guys some repetition, but at the same time, too, and that's why I think we can see Braswell and some of these other players get some action towards the end of the year here, but I think you want to make sure they don't go over that four-game regular season mark. To answer this question, and I have it queued up for you, I understand that naturally, and I mean, shoot, I don't even have to really set it up because David Kloniger of the Post and Courier, he sets it up perfectly. So let's listen to DC's question. We'll listen to what Shane Beamer had to say, and then we'll talk about it on the other side. Shane, a couple for you, um, a few for you. Um, with Juice, will he be back this year? Do you know what this we get a bonus one chance. from Juice? Um, I think if you – I don't want to speak for Juice. I think if you – uh, if you ask Juice, I think he would tell you he would like to come back and play at some point this season. Uh, he's a competitor. He wants to be out there. He's in every meeting. He's engaged. He's talking. Uh, he's working like crazy to be able to get back. And then, all right, so let's pause that there because you got a bonus one. Our good friend DC asking a grocery list of questions. Just yes. kidding. He only had two or three. But let's talk about Juice first, and then we'll get into CS Collectibles' question. Yeah. <sighs> This is a question that I feel like a lot of people have been asking, which is, you know, what is Juice's status moving forward? You know, can he come back next year? Number one, he can. We've talked about this before, but since the question was asked today, and it was the first time in quite some time that Shane talked about it on a Tuesday press conference, just coming out and saying, Juice is not playing this weekend. I feel like the last couple of weeks, that just hasn't been the case. Um, I've said this before, but I'll say it here again, because some people might not have heard it. There have been conversations about Juice returning next next season. Those talks have took place, and I can confidently say that. I can confidently say that. A couple of things that play a factor into that decision, though. Number one, if Juice does come back at some point this year, right? Um, obviously, when and if he returns will play a big role in his decision. But again, I can confidently say those conversations have took place. And the other thing, too, if anyone's like, there's no shot, there's no shot. We're living in the NIL era. And as many, 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 many people already know this from the numerous social media posts, especially at the beginning of the year, Juice has a long, long list, long, long list of NIL deals. So I think it's, and I would love to have, our good friend Field Yates on in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I'm going to reach out to Field ESPN. He does a tremendous job when it comes to all the draft stuff and obviously everything with the NFL. He put a post out about Xavier Leggett last week praising him. 
but I'd love to have him on to share his thoughts on, on Juice Wells and where he thinks he could go. But to me, again, if Juice does come back this season, how much does he play? How much of an impact does he have? Because the reality is his draft stock is continu- continuing to drop. And that shouldn't surprise anybody. It's just that's the reality, right? You get hurt, you're not back there. Other guys are going to be able to surpass you if they're having good years. And even though I think Juice could go to a pro game, I mean, um, the um, pro day or whatever, he gets invited to the combine, which I don't know if he would get invited to the combine like as of today based on the injury and everything. I don't know if he'd be one of those guys, but I certainly think he would ball out and he'd be able to help his draft stock. But if you come back next year, you have the opportunity now to put a whole season's worth of tape out there, just like you did last year. But can you prove that the injury that you sustained this year is nothing in that you're able to come back and you're able to not just be where you were before, but you were able to take that next step to be able to be even better. Yeah, absolutely. And the way his draft stock was going up into this season, I think you could see similar hype um, with a fully healthy Juice Wells going into this season again. Um, I mean, he's not, he's no stranger to marketing. I mean, Mike, you brought it up with all of his NIL deals. So I think, you know, you can't overlook that Joe, right? I mean, if this is a couple years ago, I think, you know, we're all sitting here saying, all right, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And I can tell you that, you know, he already took a policy out on himself, which a lot of players do in case you get hurt, but that policy, you're not going to be able to live off that. And I'm not saying he's going to be able to live off the NIL deals that he's had at South Carolina. However, it gives you at least a reason to come back, right? It gives you a reason to come back because there's opportunities to still make money while also risking the possibility that you could get hurt. Because you can get hurt any any time, right? Yeah. Especially if you come back. But it at least gives you another reason to come back, and you're getting something at least out of it, outside of, oh, man, I hope the season goes well. You can get paid in, in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so that's the first back part. Yeah. Back to Shane, though, but I'm glad we hit on that. Yeah, Again, yeah, yeah. DC asking his laundry list of questions. Um, He's the man but this was team. good, but this was good though. Talking about the strength and condition conditioning staff and all that kind of stuff. Injuries. Just take a listen from an outside perspective, i.e. a fan perspective, you get a lot of injuries. You know, folks start saying what's going on with the strength coach and the strength program. What do you, how do you respond to that? And also have you guys started considering some changes in the ways you do things like nutrition and just trying to get past this injury? But yeah, no, great question. I think you said you had a few. Is there one more coming after that too? All right, we'll get to, um, uh, yeah, I was talking with Mo. We get a bonus Mo Kaba one too. Yeah, obviously, saw him in our meeting. Um, yeah, you know, t- he's in good spirits, and you know, we'll see what the future holds for him as well. You know, hate it for him that he's not playing right now, along with all of our injured guys. You know, uh, they all love football and love love to play, and it's tough not getting to see, not being able to. So my heart breaks uh, for them. Yeah, you're constantly looking at everything that you're doing, coaching. Um, X's and O's, uh, schedule, how we practice, how we travel, what we do on Fridays, uh, what we do in spring practice. You're always, as the head coach, looking at how can we be better um, in, in every area. And certainly, uh, you know, so it's certainly it's concerning when you have that many injuries at one position. I've never in all my years of coaching been around a year where you've had that many injuries at one position, but it's not like you can just point your finger at it either. You know I mean? 
Case and Henry got rolled up one um, against UNC. It doesn't matter how you train, practice, lift weights, whatever. It's going to happen. Um, uh, some of the other injuries, it is what it is. So you don't – I don't think you make too big a deal out of it, but you do analyze and look at everything that you're doing year to year. And we always tweak, David, based on, you know, the year before and how we can be better. And that's in nutrition and that's in the training room and that's in the weight room and that is – that's uh, in coaching – everything so certainly it's my job as the head coach to always you know look at how we do things and how we can be better without a doubt so and i'll play this last part too but and in the roles they're responsible for but we all two and five we all starting with me have to do them better than what we're doing them right now so i share all that though because i have a thought on it yeah. and travis brings this up and it's my whole point in DC, I thought it was a great question because the responsibility as a reporter, as a journalist, is to be the voice, the middleman between the fan base and the team. So while I don't agree with the notion that these injuries have a direct connection with what's going on in Luke Day's system and the strength and conditioning program, yeah, it's a fair question. Now, as Travis Edwards brings up, and this is what I want to get into. Travis mm -hmm. says, if all the injuries are soft tissue related, you blame strength and conditioning, right? You break, blame, blame them. But that's not the case. When I was back in college, and I try not to do the, you know, back in my day stories, but my freshman year, my freshman and sophomore year, we had so many shoulder injuries, so many. And during the offseason, there were so many surgeries to the shoulder. And the head coach sat down with the strength and conditioning coach, and they try to figure out, okay, why is this happening? And we realized a lot of the workouts that we were doing with our shoulders were outdated shoulder workouts. We were doing too, it was just too much what we were doing. And it was really putting our shoulders in a, a, a you're compromising your, um, your shoulders when you're doing certain workouts, like the old school military press and all that kind of stuff. I bring that up because at that point, you can look at something and you can pinpoint, be like, okay, this has to be the reason. This has, and they were able to do that. And I think, shoot, over the next three years that I was there, or two or three years, the amount of shoulder injuries dramatically dropped down. Dramatically. I bring that up because, as Shane brought up, you know, it's not like, yes, it's happening to one position. It seems like more than others. Obviously, there's been injuries at multiple positions this year, but it's not like it's the same injury, right? If you were having, and again, just using the example of what I was talking about for my college days. If you were having multiple shoulder injuries, then you could look at it and be like, okay, something's up with that. They're not all the same injuries. I think it's just a lot of bad luck. Um, I've brought this up before that, and it's not just the South Carolina thing, it's college football. I think the way that teams prepare now based on NCAA rules, and I think we can also see this in the NFL a little bit too. I don't have like data, this is just more so the eyeball test. Because you're not going at it as hard as you would during not just the season, but during preseason camp, not tackling as much. Like it, the rules are just so much different now. I really do think that you're doing disservice to the players. You know, I think there's still a way to be able to practice the fundamentals and do some of these things to get your body acclimated to it. There's a reason why in pregame warmups, teams will go through some type of ta tackling circuit to be able to wake up your shoulders a little bit, right? So you're not just going out there. If you're going to go out there and just hit people, you can't just, you know, stretch and go out there. You have to loosen up your shoulders. you got to go out there and do some type of tackling circuit. 
Um, and I'm sure South Carolina is doing things like that. But my whole point being is, is it enough? And it's not, again, it's not just limited to South Carolina because I feel like I'm seeing a lot of injuries just occur throughout college football. We're seeing more in pro. Pro football's obviously cut back in terms of how active they are in comparison to years past. But that, again, I don't have any data to further prove that, at least right now. But that's just the eyeball test. It just feels like we're seeing a lot of, you know, I want to say ticky-tack injuries because some of these are ACL injuries, some of these are MCL injuries. But um, that's just the the feeling I get as someone that has not just played the sport but have covered it here now for about a decade and have been around it since the day that my dad's been coaching since I was born. Yeah, I mean, it, if it is one of those things with strength and conditioning, which I don't think it is um, at South Carolina, I mean, these injuries have all been sporadic and different. Um, but, I mean, either way, they're going to sit and, and reassess um, just everything, what they're doing, how can they fix it, why is it all going on, like Mike said. So, um, obviously, Shane's thinking about it. Um, I forget Pete Yacobelli in D.C. read his mind twice today. So, um, it was uh, – yeah, I mean, he's he's thinking about everything, pulling out all the stops to try to figure out what is That's going what you on. That's what you got to do. He's the yeah. CEO. He's the CEO of this program. Yep, yep. So, I mean, it, exactly like Mike said, it, it is what you have to do. Um, and it, I mean, he takes it as hard as anyone else does. These losses, like it's, it's getting to him. I'm sure he's losing some sleep over it for sure. So Batman Gummies asks, how good is Texas A&M's D-line? I haven't paid much attention to him. Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked because, put it this way, if you thought Tennessee's defensive line was good, oh boy, get ready for this one. Get ready for this one. So I'll um, I'll read the uh, some of the stats for you. Texas A&M, through seven games, they have actually one more sack than Tennessee. They're actually tied for first in the country in sacks with Penn State. Both teams have 29. Texas A&M is in third. They have 28. So they're averaging just over four sacks a game. I bring that up because this weekend, just like we saw against Tennessee, it's going to present a challenge for the offensive line. And not just the offensive line, but it's going to present a challenge for Dal Loggins because what do you do with that right tackle position? Right now, and Shane didn't mention him specifically by name, it was kind of like, you know, and the rest of them are um, questionable for this weekend. He said, Juice Wells is out. He said, Amarian Brown, he's doubtful. And I believe he said the rest of them are questionable. And he didn't specifically say names, including Xavier Leggett. But if you recall, we talked about this on the GC Live afternoon drive last week, but then later that night, it was either it was even further um, mentioned by Shane Beamer at Carolina Calls that Vershawn Lee, not only was he going to be out for last week's game against Missouri, but he also said that if he had to take a guess, that Vershawn would be questionable, an early questionable for next week, and that the injury that he had sustained could potentially keep him out at least two weeks. So if Vershawn's out at right tackle, you got to ask yourself, what do you do with that right tackle position? Sidney Fugar, he struggles. He has struggled this year. Okay, he struggled. Um, There's no other way to put it. Right. We talked about this before. We'll call a spade a spade here. We're not crapping on players. We're just calling for what it is. The eyeballs do not lie. I don't care if you have one eyeball or two eyeballs. I mean, you could see what's going on out there, especially at right tackle this this last week. And I know it's not just 
all on Sydney, but he had a tough one, and he's had a, t- a couple tough games this year. So I bring that up because if you don't put Sydney out there, if, God forbid, Vershawn Lee isn't able to go this weekend, what do you do? Do you put Wanamaker out there? You know, I, I, I feel like they need to figure out that right tackle position in the worst of ways. But when you find out, and not finding out, because, I mean, it's not a surprise, but when you're going up against a team that leads the country in sacks, and that has been, that's been the spot, especially over the last couple of weeks. And I know you played musical chairs, but that spot has been one of your weaker spots and just trying to figure out what to do after bumping in Trevon Baugh to guard. You don't think that A&M is going to be going after that piss position, especially? Oh, yeah. Of course they are. Of course they are. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, A&M's defensive line is just about as good as Missouri's, if not better. Um, so it's it's going to be tough. I mean, Jimbo knows how to coach football. Like, I mean, it's at Kyle Field. It's going to be a hard environment. A&M is, I mean, they've competed with a lot of really good teams. So, I mean, you better bring your A game if you want to try and win this one. And, yeah, absolutely, they're going to be going like against or game planning for more pressure on Spencer because you know the offensive line is as weak as, as is as weak as it is. Golly, can't talk tonight. Yeah, I'm trying to go through some of these comments. Savannah. Webster says, when I read earlier, they still haven't had a come-to-Jesus player meeting with two wins. That was very concerning. So we had Jacob August on yesterday for Mixing a Water Monday, and I asked him, I said, look, I said, you know, on the outside, I know a lot of people make a big deal about these player-only meetings, right? And the reason I bring that I brought that up with him is because, again, I think a lot of people bring him up, and it's a fair question, Savannah. But as Jacob said, he's like, I think they're just well past that. I feel like at this point, it's like you know who your vocal leaders are. There's going to be leaders that don't necessarily say something, or they haven't been more on the vocal side, and they're going to have to say something. And if they're not someone that's going to say something in a meeting or stand up in front of the room, they have to do something differently on the field. So. I think the closest thing that at least that has been put out there, and this goes back to last week, is that they had something to the effect of that at halftime. Shane Beamer brought it up. Spencer Rattler talked about it. Nick Gargiulo talked about it. I'm trying to think who else brought it up. Um, goodness. I mean, they they went in there at halftime. I think it was Debo Williams brought it up too. At halftime against Missouri, before the coaches even got in there, they had kind of one of those moments. Now, I think we can all agree that it shouldn't come down to having one of those meetings in the middle of a frigging game when you're down 24 to 3. But I think the point being more than anything is at this point, those meetings, you know, the player meetings, like they're, I think they're just past that. I feel like at some point, action needs to be done. And again, Savannah, I hear what you're saying, um, but it just feels like they're past that moment. And I think the the thing that concerns me the most, like I mentioned at the beginning, this team is so young that if the upperclassmen and these leaders, the seniors, if they don't just 
take on that leadership role, not only could things continue to go sour this year, but it could have a trickle-down effect into next season and the next couple of years because this freshman class, this uh, sophomore class, red-shirted freshman, they're not used to seeing this program at least being part of it. They're not used to seeing them not have good years, right? I mean, the last two years, right, guys that are juniors right now, guys that are juniors that came in here, Shane Beamer's first year, They've won at least seven games, at least seven games. This is all new to them right now. This is all new. Um, mentions CS Collectibles mentions Garrett was great. Did the post-game show with intern Joe, as we mentioned. Michael says, women's basketball team looks great. They're going to be in Paris. Playing the Irish. Um, Michael says, rumor is Landon Sampson will hit the portal. Any word on this? I haven't heard anything like that at this point. Uh, Savannah says, at this point, we just want to say Mizzou is better. Is a better team. Oh, at this point, we want to say Mizzou is just a better team than A&M, right? But now we have way more injuries, so unsure what to expect. Expectations, Joe. What are your expectations going into this game? I mean, we haven't put our predictions out, which we will at the end of the week. Yeah. but. A&M, at least on paper, they're 14-point favorites this weekend. You're at home. That can be a hostile environment. We talk about how South Carolina needs a win in a bad, bad way. You look at the season that A&M has had, I mean, here's a team that could desperately use a win. They're 4-3 and three right now. You look at what they have coming up on the other side of things after South Carolina, they have – to go to number 12, Old Miss. You have Mississippi State, um, Abilene Christian, and then you finish the year at LSU. So if you look at that and you talk about, you know, you want to look at games that they should be able to win, try to become bowl eligible, Abilene Christian, Mississippi State, I feel like you would say those two games would be the easiest. And then you'd throw South Carolina in there just for the simple fact that South Carolina beat Mississippi State. Um, but shoot, I mean, this is one of the more easier games on their schedule. And if they lose this game, they might not be, uh, possibly bowl eligible. If God forbid they struggle against Mississippi state. So I bring those things up, Joe, because man, you think South Carolina is desperate. This is a desperate Texas A&M team too, especially considering the fact of what happened last year and how poorly they played, the amount of money that has been invested into their their NIL program and all the transfers they've been able to pick up. And, oh, by the way, the contract they're paying Jimbo Fisher. But, man, if they're not able to win this game, you want to talk about things getting ugly, could get really ugly in College Station this weekend. Yeah, um, I think, you know, so what, I'm, what am I expecting this week for South Carolina Texas A&M? I, I know Texas A&M. Like you mentioned, Jimbo has his back up against the wall. He's a little bit close to firing range um, than Shane Beamer is. So if they lose this one this weekend, it, you're right, Mike, it's going to get ugly. Um, and so I, I don't know. I think, you know, um, I'm, a little preview of my prediction, if you will. I, I think Texas a is going to come ready to play. Jimbo's going to have his guys playing really well. It's a noon kick. You know, it's a home game in the SEC. Kyle Field's as electric as it gets. It's going to be a tough one to win if you're South Carolina. R.L. Smith says the struggles the team is having this season are due to more than injuries each week. Three starting wide receivers entering the season are injured. 
and we have walk-on tight ends filling practice spots on the lines. Uh, moving along, and we talked about the injuries already. We had Shane Beamer talk about that. R.L. Smith, again, the purpose of redshirting in this era of football is to allow the players to develop, learn the playbook, and get used to the college academic tempo. I think I could be wrong. So I don't think um, it is too, in you go with, with the second one, important that players maintain their redshirt if the team needs them on the field. I think, because RL, I think it's a it's a fair it's a fair assessment because you worry sometimes of players entering the portal, right? If they don't feel like they're getting the playing time, it's going to happen. I would not be shocked to see a couple of players enter the portal this year uh, from that freshman group. And and that's not to say I've been told anything, but it's just trying to get at the the reality of the world that we live in, right? Some players expect to go out there right away. We did a story last year on how some of those players who left South Carolina for the portal the previous year, how they did last year. And for the majority of them, especially that first year away from USC, the grass wasn't greener. Now, as we know, there's guys that have left this program. And when we do our review in December, guys like Marshawn Lloyd and Jaheim Bell, yeah, some of these guys have done pretty well at other places. Um, and we'll again, we'll get into that at another point because I don't want to spend too much time on the past. But I also feel like when we're talking about red shirt, you don't want to just throw someone out there for the sake of throwing someone out there. And I'm not saying that's exactly what you're saying, RL. But, you know, I look at the situation with Nicholas Harbor. We've talked about this before. We talked about what Harbor said last week, and I'm paraphrasing, but he felt like he needed to continue to come along. He wasn't there right away to be able to play probably as quickly as some fans were hoping for him to play for the simple fact that yes, he's a five-star athlete played defensive end, played tight end in high school, but he didn't play wide receiver in high school. There's much more being asked of you blocking assignments, motions, a lot of pre-snap stuff that in high school, maybe he wasn't asked to do. Never mind the tempo, never mind the fact that you're playing in front of crowds that you're not used to playing in front of. Right? So and the competition goes up too. And that's no disrespect to the competition that he went up against high school. It's just the reality, yeah. right? You're in the SEC. So to hear him say those things and to hear what Shane Beamer said today about Harbor, which is he's quickly won over his teammates because he's one of the first people to go out there before practice. And he's one of the last people to leave practice because he's staying out there to get extra work. Whether that be working directly with Xavier Leggett, who, my goodness, his impact on this program goes well beyond what oh, yeah. he's doing statistically oh, yeah. this year. And hopefully he's healthy this weekend. He's been a tremendous leader. He's one of those leaders. We talk about leadership. He's one of the guys, at least from the outside looking in, that's not as vocal. But, man, does he have a major presence on the inside. So I bring those things up because the jugs machine that Harbor is going after, too, staying after, getting some extra practices with catching – you know, he's a good example of, okay, my time wasn't, I'm, I'm not ready quite yet, but I'm going to continue to work hard. And he's, you know, played the second most snaps at wide receiver this past week. And obviously uh, Xavier Leggett going down played a role with that, but Omega Blake played 58 snaps. And then Nicholas Harbor played 57 at wide receiver this past week. And so I think some of those guys, again, thinking for long-term, you're not going to make everyone happy, but as a coach, I would still go about it the way that you feel like, is best for the program and for the player. If you're worried about some of those things, you sit down, you have a conversation with a player. If you're worried that a player leaves at that point, then you got to make a decision. What's in the best interest of the program. Should we put him out there? Are we a little worried that he could leave? 
I think some of those decisions, you know, you can make as you go, but if everyone wants to do that, you're not going to be able to please everyone, you know? Yeah. Uh, Savannah goes, because the portal is so rampant now, red shirt years seem to matter way less. Yeah, and it's piggybacking off RL says. I, I still think the red shirt year is important, but I also am not naive to believe that you can just red shirt everyone and being able to build that foundation the way that you envision building it, right? Say in comparison to a couple of years ago, guys will enter the portal. It will happen. You're not going to make everyone happy. But I also think too that you're you have to go about it in a, in a way where you're still trusting whatever plan and the process that you had before player X showed up during his freshman year. I mean, how would you approach it, Joe? I mean, it's it's tough, Mike, right? Because because like I said, and I think we've talked a lot about red shirts tonight, so it's making my head spin a little bit, but. I mean, I think, you know, if a guy is ready and he's showing you in practice that he's ready to make the jump, obviously you're going to be using guys, um, try to, you know, at least get their foot in the door um, and see how they do. Because some guys are better game players than practice. I'm sure you've encountered that during your time in athletics and football, let alone. But, um, I mean, I don't know. Like, as you work guys up through the lineup, get them reps in in lineup in in practice, um, you see if they're really ready and then, you know, if they're not, you can serve it and then build on next year. Help he has a good summer, got a full off season to work with him and make that next step. So um, I don't know. I, I think really in practice gets talked about a lot in this program as well as like a big like measuring stick on how, you know, are guys ready for the game this week? Well, you know, it depends on how they practice and rep wise. So I think, you know, you throw a freshman into the fire in practice and if he steps up and certainly give him a look and then, build off it from there if he does well in the game then you know you have a harder conversation to have but i yeah i, I don't know mike it, it it's practice man practice we'll try to crank through these as quickly as possible uh christopher Stubbs says what's up with having multiple strings on the lineup especially on the o-line what's up with that what aren't these guys doing that doesn't have them ready to be able to get in? I've said it uh, time in and time again, these guys on second string need to play more specifically talking about the offensive line, Chris. And I can't answer that question for every position, but I'll specifically mention the line. So we can try to go through some of these other questions quickly uh, before we wrap up. The challenge with the offensive line is some of these guys who are playing on the second string, it's not necessarily, okay, are they good? Are they bad? It's can they play with the other four that are out there, right? If you're talking about one individual. And as we've seen with what South Carolina has had to do over the last couple of weeks because of injuries, especially at the offensive line position, they've had to shuffle guys around. And that's one of the challenges they're trying to figure out this week at right tackle. So there could be a player, and this goes back to, to some of the stuff Lonnie Teasley mentioned before the season. You could have a player who is a phenomenal, phenomenal left guard. And he can play right guard too, but maybe he's not the best right tackle. And that's maybe where you need him to play in comparison to those other two positions because the left guard or right guard ahead of him are better. So I think that's the challenging part with the offensive line is that there's probably guys that are good at, say, left tackle or right guard or whatever the case may be, but the guys ahead of them are doing it better, especially with the other players that they're playing alongside with that rapport, and they're trying to still figure out certain positions. Vershawn Lee did a phenomenal job before getting hurt at right tackle, and that's something that they're going to have to figure out this week. Um, Gamecock retweeter, good to have you on, said, sorry if I missed y'all addressing this, but why is Juice at home on Instagram during games? 
that he doesn't travel with the team. That's not uncommon uh, that players will not travel with the team when they're hurt, um, especially with the injury that he has, at least South, the way South Carolina does it. R.L. Smith says, and, you know, number of players. Yep. Um, Big Red says, do you use – do you o- do you only use red shirt guys in situational games to exploit matchups, but watching the game count? I, I don't think it's as simple as that. I think you got to stick with what your plan is, big picture, because again, with certain positions, you're trying to build that rapport, and it can't just be okay. We're going to throw these guys out there to beat this team because we feel like it gives us a better chance to win. Um, it's not as simple as that. Plus, you're talking about a, an error of what we were just talking about before, entering the transfer portal, right? If you feel like guys are a better matchup for one week, but you want to maintain their year of eligibility, you throw them out there. You know, some of these other guys, Johnny's going to be sitting around saying, wait a minute, why didn't they play me in this game? But now they're throwing me back out there and they played me the week prior. I think you could really ruffle some th- feathers that way. Uh, continuing to go down the list. You got Travis. So more wings, so much love for the team. All right. Yeah, this wide receiver class is deep, talking about the NFL. Um, trying to continue to go through this. Not going to be able to get everyone. A Big Red says, screen passes going to be our bread and butter with a tough defense like this or misdirection. Short passes for sure. I think a lot of it comes down to the fact of can they block, Right. Can they block? Can they run the football? These are things that slow down a front, and it's going to be very challenging to do against a very, very good front seven for Texas A&M, who, again, as we mentioned, they lead the country when it comes to sacks. Uh, We are going to hit some ad reads, Joe, before we wrap things up. Yep. Do you want to get into our first ad Yeah, 100%. Talk about our good friends over at Liberty Tax First. Tax anxiety is an uncertain feeling you get right before doing your taxes, but you don't have to go through it alone. The Liberty or the tax team at Liberty Tax in Irmo, Lexington, and Columbia will walk you through the process, clear up any confusion, and guarantee you'll get the biggest possible refund or your money back. It's tax time if you're in a hurry for your refund. Call in the tax team at Liberty Tax, fast, accurate, and guaranteed. On the other hand, if you think you might be owing Uncle Sam, talk to the Liberty Tax team to make sure you're not paying more than you should owe. They'll find every possible deduction for you. Locally owned and operated, staffed by tax professionals from your neighborhood. Open 99 on weekdays and 9 to 5 on Saturdays with multiple service options. Start through the Liberty Tax mobile app or through the desktop portal. Make an appointment or just walk in. Give a call to upload your tax documents. And when you come in, your return will be ready to view and sign. Give them a call on your screen right now, 803-462-5576. Once again, 803-462-5576. Give them a call for all of your tax needs. And today's show is also brought to you by our good friend, Clint Hammond of Movement Mortgage. Clint has been a longtime sponsor and supporter of not just these GC Live shows, but he's also been a longtime friend of Gamecock Central. And that's why when our very own Wes Mitchell, it was time for him to be able to buy a home with his lovely wife called Clint, because Clint makes it easier for you the same way that he did for former Gamecock quarterback and captain Perry Orth. Give Clint a call, get those rates down, find the best rates and everything else in between when you're talking about the hassle that is buying a home. That number is 803-771-6933. Let Clint Hammond know that Gamecock Central sent you. All right, not able to get to everyone's questions tonight. Uh, Big Red, do you want to get another defensive question in there? 
You know, do we use a bigger guy, a.k.a. Tonka Hemingway, as a fullback to help with protection in the run game? I I understand. I I think, look, could they get creative this week and put a couple different packages out there? Sure. Um, I think the thing that gets lost sometimes, it's a combination of that question and where was the other one? Where was the other one here? Big Red. You know, do we use more tight ends for added support? The problem sometimes, and people kind of just overlook this. You put in a defensive lineman or a fullback, whatever the case may be, at that fullback position. You have some extra tight ends in there that are attached to the line. What happens is more guys on defense are going to be in the box now too. So it's not as simple as, hey, just throw an extra tight end there, do a two tight end set, or, hey, throw a fullback out there. Because, and, and I'm not saying that it can't work, but I think with, with the issues that South Carolina has yeah. had, when you do that, it's just going to force more people in the box. So it sounds like it's an easy fix, and I'm not saying that it wouldn't work, Big Red, but what I'm trying to get at is even if they did that, that might not necessarily solve things, especially with the way South Carolina's front has been playing this year. And you haven't really got the blocking that you're that you've been hoping for at the tight end position either. I mean, I think I've I think at least I'll speak for myself, Joe. I've been a little disappointed with that. I know it's not just on the tight ends. Uh, it's been a combination of a bunch of things, right? Starting with the offensive line, but there just hasn't been consistency at that tight end position as well when you're talking about blocking. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, blocking goes further than adding a couple tight ends into the mix. Um, but uh, it's it's tough. Mm. Famously Garnet, our good friend, saying, Evening, fellas, just like fans are questioning coaches on why player insert name aren't getting playing time here. Miami fans are livid that Eli Apple is getting more playing time over Cam Smith. I would be interested in this because I haven't – I'd be lying to you if I say follow the Dolphins – very closely, but sometimes those decisions, and I'm not saying this is the case, but um, I'd be interested to see how much Eli's making. I know Cam Smith was a high what, second round draft pick, but I would be interested to see what the contracts are because sometimes those decisions are being made from upstairs and the head coach doesn't have as much say. Uh, but you would assume that Cam Smith. Cam's next stop in Miami. Round. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's he's next up. He's the third, um, you know. the only thing that I've seen with Cam, with from what I've again, I don't follow the Dolphins super closely, but um, some of the things that I that I've saw during preseason camp was just consistency out of him. Consistency got a little handsy sometimes with the coverage, and obviously, as we know in the NFL, the rules at playing. I, I don't know how the heck you play defensive back in the NFL. I mean, it's already a tough enough position as is, but you take away their hands essentially after five yards. Uh, in the NFL, I mean, it's a tough position. So I think Cam's going to be fine. I mean, we we saw how it took him some time at South Carolina to adjust, but once he was able to make the move and the adjustment from playing at Westwood, coming to South Carolina, we saw what he was able to turn into and what he was able to become. Um, any final thoughts, Joe, before we wrap things up? No, nothing uh, for you tonight, Mike. I mean, it uh, there isn't a whole lot more you can say um, about this team going forward. You know, two – Two and six is not fun, and it's not where everyone wanted to be. So, yep. Michael says, 
How about those pets? Blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while, Mike. Well, you know, at this point, honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset if they the Blackhawks, baby. Uh, if they Hawks would lose a, tonight, if they would lose a game. Yeah, we got to watch some hockey tonight. Uh, I'll answer this question. This will kind of go into a, a kind of final thought for me. Chris says, "I think we need to shake up the defense. Maybe a four-three or five-two uh, would stop." Well, here's the problem with the four-three. We've talked about this before. Some of the other defensive packages, you just don't have the personnel. No, you don't. You don't have the personnel, especially at the linebacker position. So while you mentioned five two, you run a five two. I think you're gonna get picked apart. I mean, they're already doing a lot of man to man coverage, and I think some people would agree that they're not loving the man to man looks out there constantly, especially when they're you're doing a blitz. And I've mentioned this before, maybe you should do some more zone, but I mean, shoot, even last week, double coverage, I think it was the first touchdown pass that Missouri scored. I mean, it was a beautiful throw. You have two guys in defense on them, and what happens? Throws it right in there. Yep. Um, I guess my final thought w- would be this. You cannot lay an egg defensively the way that you did in the first half. Uh, I've sa- I said this after the game um, during the grade sheet that I do each week, talking about some of the keys. The only reason I gave them a D and not an F is simply because they came out and showed showed some fight in the second half. Now, sure, some of that had to do with the fact that I'm sure Missouri took their foot off the pedal a little bit, but when South Carolina was able to cut it to, what, 15 points, two-score lead, they were trying to be able to move the football. It's not like they just said, okay, you know, we're taking the foot off the pedal and we're just saying, screw it. They tried to move the ball in South Carolina. For the most part in that second half, they did a really good job. They came out and they showed some fight. So I say that because... If they come out the way that they played in the first half, and God forbid you lose this game, but it just gets really ugly, riding a four-game losing streak, fall to two and six on the year. You have four home games to go, including Jacksonville State right on the other side of this. You want to talk about that stadium being empty. Man, and I know Gamecock fans are passionate, but four games to end the year for a two and six team, and I get it. People are going to be like, well, you know, 2000, I was out there for every game. All the differences is this. TVs weren't the same. <laughs> Go tell that to the other 70,000 plus, the other 77,000 people there. Um, people are going to stay home. And I'm not saying everyone will because there's a lot of people that will still come out because they're very supportive of their Gamecocks. But the point being is, I don't want to say apathy is going to be setting in, but at least in terms of this season, that's what I'm worried about. So show some fight. Show some fight this weekend. Um, come out and fight the way that you did in that second half against Missouri. And from an offensive standpoint, for the love of God, for the love of God, if you get down to the red zone, find a way to freaking punch the ball into the end zone. And the big question this weekend is, can they somehow, somehow slow down what is one of the best defensive fronts in the country in Texas A&M? And you're trying to figure out how you do that with potentially playing without uh, Vershawn Lee at right tackle for another week. Uh, if you missed any of our show, head on over to the Gamecock Central YouTube page where you can find this show in its entirety. Be sure to subscribe for free if you haven't already. Hit that little bell. It'll give you a notification anytime one of these shows or the other GC Live shows happen or any of the other shows for that matter, any video clips that we upload on Gamecock Central. Or if you're a podcast listener, head on over to the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. He's intern Joe. I'm Mike Yuba. We'll be Back at it again next Tuesday, but you can catch Intern Joe Sunday nights on the walkthrough. And be sure to tune in this Thursday at 2 o'clock 
for the GC Live afternoon drive. We'll see if we can have a nice special guest for you guys in South Carolina. Gears up to head to College Station to take on a 4-3 and three Texas A&M team. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday night and enjoy the rest of your Thank week. You Gamecocks A&M this weekend in College Station. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.